who we are and to the limit of our own goodness, the comfort of Christ, the comfort of God, is that he has proclaimed your worth and your value at Calvary. He has said there at the cross, you count. You are worth this to me. And you know, it is the owner and the maker of anything that establishes its value and its worth. What it's going to, what the maker is going to charge. Now, if I made a vase and decided to sell it at a garage sale, and I could decide because I made the vase that I want I want hundred dollars for that vase. You know, people could go by that garage sale wagging their heads and laughing because that vase is not worth $100. <laughs> but because I decided as a maker that it is worth $100, I, I'm the one who gets to choose what the price tag is. Now, I could be wrong on the price of a $100 vase that I might make. Definitely would be wrong. But I get to choose it. The difference between me as the maker of the vase and God as the maker of you and me is that he is never, ever, ever, ever wrong. It doesn't matter how many people pass by the cross wagging their head. It doesn't matter. They're wrong. God is right. And at Calvary, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, died for me and for you. And so when we move into a mourning of the soul, a mourning of what we are, the comfort comes at Calvary. The comfort comes in the freedom that attends this moment where we no longer have to run from ourselves, where we can say thank you, Lord. Because true praise rises out of the humus of mourning. True praise of the Lord rises out of the humility that comes when I recognize what I am. Then I praise God. Then I see him, not through the lens anymore of my own righteousness, my own self-righteousness. I see him clearly. And uh, Job, uh, in chapter 40, uh, spoke of this uh, so clearly. Let's just turn there for a moment. Actually, I want to go to 42, verse 3. In the middle of verse 3, he says, Therefore, uh, well, in the beginning of verse 3 of chapter 42, Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself. And I repent. Job had not changed in what he did or how he behaved or how he related to God. The only thing that changed is how he saw and what he saw. In um, Psalm 51, 
the psalmist speaks to this in verse 15, verse 16. This is the new covenant tucked away in the old covenant. The psalmist David said, For you desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. These were the things that the Jews most believed God delighted in. And here the psalmist is understanding there's something deeper here than the external expression of religion, than the external expression of relationship with God. There's something deeper here. He's saying, I would give sacrifice if that's what you desired. If you delighted in the burnt offering, I would give it. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Joel 2.12, I believe it is, speaks, um, references this in a different, slightly different setting. Turn on over toward the end of the uh, Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore also now says the Lord... Turn you even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. So he's talking about mourning here. Now, their, their mindset is going to be, how did the Jews mourn in the Old Covenant times? They tore their clothes, and they threw ashes on them. Sackcloth and ashes. So he's talking here in those terms that would elicit that, that image in the Jewish Old Testament mindset. Uh, Turn even unto me with your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and and slow to anger and of great kindness to those who repent. That's the comfort that he brings to this kind of soulish morning where I come to grips with what I am, with my fallenness, with my limitations, with the limitations of my goodness, whatever, and that goodness is in quotes, because there's none good except God. So the good that is in you, Brenda, is of me. It is not of you. But when we come to that place, and we all come to those places where we, we look at ourselves in the mirror and realize what we are, that we are not what we thought we were. And the, 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 the comfort that comes is grace and mercy. Now look over in James 4. Here we see this in the New Covenant. Same kind of verbiage. James is after Hebrews. James 4. The introductory verse that we'll start in is verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourself. Submission in and of itself requires humility. Submission does not come to us except on the wings of humility. The wings of recognizing who God is. And that he is greater than I. And that I trust his judgment more than I trust my own ideas. 
and that's a big one. Because <laughs> I can argue with God real, real well. <laughs> I can debate him, you know. I was on a debate team, you know. I, I can do this. <laughs> and, and the logic and the reason that we carry with us into the prayer chamber is really quite profound. We hope to lay it on the altar once we leave the prayer chamber so that it does not follow us into the day. <laughs> but here, he's saying, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And you say, oh, I don't like that word sinner. Then my question is, why do I not like that word sinner? Is it archaic? Is it reflective of the puritanical 20s, 30s and 40s in this country? Or is it reflective of what I am? And have I come to grips with that? Um, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Now he's coming into the heart. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There's the comfort. Now, it doesn't mean that we go around with sagging faces and sagging spirits. You know, let your joy be turned to mourning. When, I, when my joy is turned to mourning, when my false Complacency, my false righteousness uh, awakens to what it really is. And there is that mourning. When the joy turns to mourning, we don't stay in this groveling state. We are comforted with the joy of the Lord. He lifts us up. He, does it say, uh, exalts? He will lift you up. He lifts us up with his joy. Turn to John 15. So that our relationship with the Lord, our Christianity, is a joyous thing. But it is a joy that is not hinging upon humanity. Except in our emptying ourselves out. You know, we, we have to be emptied in order to be filled up. If the flask is three-quarters full, then the Lord's joy cannot fill us up. It can top off the tank, but it can't fill us up. And then we have this hybrid mix of two different kinds of gases. One time I, I went to this um, gas station I normally went to, and it was after a lot of rain, and I filled my tank up and drove off and it just started kind of sputtering and I got about a half a mile and just had to coast into the side. That engine would just sputter and die, sputter and die, sputter and die. And it was because water had been mixed, had gotten into the tank from the, the heavy rains. And so the gasoline was not pure. It was a mix of water and gas. And I had to have the whole system of the, of the car system drained out and new gas put in cost me a hundred dollars. I don't know why it did. It was something else. I think they, th they thought there was dirt in it and it wasn't. It was water. That's sort of what we do when we just let God top off our tank. 
with his joy is that we just kind of sputter along. Sometimes we're joy and sometimes our joy car runs. And a lot of times it doesn't. And we read about the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. We wonder, okay, can I just pick the grape of fruit of, of joy today and the grape of love tomorrow? I can't quite seem to get the whole cluster all together at the same time. And that's because I've let God top off my tank. And it just runs and sputters and it gets us a little ways, but it's, it's not what he has in mind. That's why he's starting out here in the Sermon on the Mount as a downward spiraling staircase down into the recesses of who you and I are and where God is in us. And he is <coughs> wanting <coughs> to cleanse out the inner workings of me and of you. And that starts with me entering into a poverty of spirit where I recognize what I am and my tank is being drained. And in the humility of that morning is the emptying out process of me. And it's not a once and for all thing. I have to go to the gas station a, a lot. And you and I have to go for this filling on a perpetual basis. Otherwise, God just tops off our tank and we've got a mix here. That sometimes is joyous because we've gotten a new job. It's joyous because a family member has experienced great good fortune. It's joyous because the grandchildren have come or the children have left home. <laughs> what, whatever. <laughs> it's joyous, but it's all hinging upon the external. And the joy that he speaks of in John 15 is a completely different kind of joy. Let's turn there. The peace that he speaks of in John 14 is a different kind of peace. Verse 26 of John 14 is where I want to start. These things have I spoke, 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Part of the comfort of your suffering is what God will teach you. Okay? He will teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. Part of the comfort of your suffering is his peace. It's not as the world gives it, give I unto you, because the world's definition of peace is the absence of conflict. And how often you and I strive to have the absence of conflict. All I want is peace. All I want is peace. How many times have we thought that and said that, prayed that? And the Lord is saying, Brenda, it doesn't matter whether you're in a war zone or an armistice. Take my peace. You don't have to wait for the peace treaty of the external conflicts and the external, external wars. I offer you a peace the world cannot know, nor can it offer. 
I offer you peace in the midst of the pain and the storm and the chaos. This is part of his comfort promised to you and me in our suffering and in our mourning. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives it, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Because in this world you will have tribulation, John 16, 33. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. These things have I spoken to you that you might have my peace. John 16, 33. Now in John 15... Verse 10 and 11, he's talking about abiding in him, living in him, dwelling in him, uh, abiding in his word, and his word abiding in us. And in, in 10, he explains the definition of abiding, and it is keeping, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And we're not talking about a dutiful obedience and a, an outward performance so much as a performance of the heart. A love-based heart performance, not external performance, a heart condition. And in verse 11, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So whether it is external mourning or interior mourning, The everlasting promise of the everlasting God is that he will comfort you. And that the pain and the suffering and even the death of his saints are precious to him. And the sign of the preciousness and the treasure that he bestows upon your struggles is the comfort that he promises you. The comfort of freedom of peace, of joy, the comfort of being lifted up and exalted in the cross. Christ was laid down in the cross. His followers are exalted in the cross. It is for this reason, Brenda, that I have come, because you matter infinitely to me. And as your heart mourns what you are, God at Calvary has elevated you and given you a standard of worth beneath which you cannot slide. He's given you a base bedrock of worth and value that no one on earth can take from you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your plans for us, for your mysterious and amazing ways. Thank you that you raise up that which humbles itself before you and recognizes what we are. Thank you that you comfort those who mourn. And in that comfort, we are blessed.
would ask that while your eyes are closed that you sing along with Becky as she leads us again in the song that she sang at the beginning. Let this be our benediction. You are, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy.